All right, church family, go ahead and uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. How we doing? All right, four of y'all are great. Acts 3. We're going to begin in verse 11, continuing through the book of Acts. Title of my message this morning is The Gospel That Heals. The gospel that heals. Acts chapter 3. If you're there, say word. Alright, so if you'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Verse 11. We're going to go through to verse 19. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people... Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had denied to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers... But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. Pray, Lord, that you would add a blessing upon your word this morning. Use me as you see fit. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is a such thing as a false gospel. There is a such thing as a gospel that is wrong, a gospel that is dangerous. I love to read books and I love the idea of reading books (laughs) because sometimes I just it's hard to find the time to read books. And sometimes I'm caught up having to read books for school and stuff like that. But I get a lot of questions and ask for recommendations on what Christian books to read. Now, y'all remember when we used to have these really cool things called Christian bookstores? Now they're all shut down, basically. Well, used to, I would say, when you walk into a Christian bookstore, just because it's in the bookstore doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's healthy. Doesn't mean that it is true. What we have that is running rampant across not only our nation today, but across our entire world, especially in third world countries, is a gospel known as the prosperity gospel. It's a gospel that claims that you can find health, wealth, and prosperity if you have enough faith. That's a dangerous gospel. Dangerous gospel. Because basically what it says is, is for those of us in this room who are probably a little stuffy this morning, 
or for those of us who have already struggled with the flu, or for those of you who have struggled with cancer. What that, what that gospel says is the reason why you've struggled with sickness is because your faith was not strong enough. This is the same gospel that claims that, that if you would follow Christ and have enough faith in Him, He will make you wealthy and prosperous and will bless you in this world beyond all measure. That's a dangerous gospel. We have pastors across our country who are doing that. One of them has the last name Dollar. Creflo Dollar. So there, we have to understand that there is a such thing as a false gospel. But what Peter does here in this passage, verses 11 through 19, Peter brings to us a gospel not that heals, not one that heals physically, but a gospel that heals and saves spiritually. This is a gospel that, that we need in our lives. Tony Evans, uh, his wife just recently died uh, a couple months ago, I believe. Um, she had been sick for some time. And she passed, and I remember I, I was I was scrolling through Facebook as I often do, and um, I came across the live feed of the funeral service, and so I thought I'd click on it for a little bit, and it was actually really good. the The part that I that I heard it was it was her son. I forgot his I forgot his name, but he was up there speaking, and he said to the crowd, he said, "We prayed for God to heal my mother." And you know what God said? God said that he's either going to heal her or he's going to heal her. In other words, God's either going to heal her on this earth or when he brings her into the next life, she'll be healed there. So what we need to understand is is that this gospel that we believe in, it brings healing. Maybe not in this life, but it does ultimately for eternal life. This gospel that we believe in heals. It's the gospel that heals. The main idea that I want to get through to your, uh, get, get across to you this morning is this. Through faith in his name, broken people can be healed. Through faith in his name, broken people can be healed. Uh, a, a friend of mine put it this way. The gospel heals broken people. It's that simple. The gospel heals broken people. And Peter presents this gospel here to the people. See, what he, what him and John ended up doing to the, to the lame man that was sitting at the beautiful gate. We talked about him last week. The, this lame man who, who had been lame from birth, possibly around 40 now, where the only thing he can do is ask for money. That's the only thing he can do. And Peter and John come up to him and and Peter says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And what happens? He stands up and he walks. What ended up happening? That drew a crowd. The people who were in the synagogue who had walked by this man for years, possibly, who knew that he was lame, now sees him walking. 
There's healing that's been done. What has happened to you? Peter and John have drawn a crowd. And so Peter sees his opportunity to explain to them what's going on. Verse 11, while he, the lame man, no longer lame, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. This is important. Peter has an opportunity again to preach another message. And what does he preach? Not 10 ways to live a better life. He does not preach some some moralistic message. He shows them the gospel. Because the people are in the same need of spiritual healing as that man was in need of physical healing. And church, we are too. We are too. So Peter presents this gospel and he breaks it down in four ways. And so we're going to walk through it. And guys, this outline that we have here, you can use when you share the gospel with friends and family. Basically, it's broken down like this. It's God, man, Christ response. That's how simple that is. God, man, Christ response. And so we're going to look at it. So the first way that, that he breaks it down <clears throat> Look at verse uh, verse uh, 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety? We have made him walk. I love Peter. Peter saying, guys, it wasn't us. I didn't do it. This is not because of my power. This is not because of my strength. It's not because of my piety or my good character. It is solely because of God. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. So first thing he does is he reminds the people of the faithfulness of God. He's talking to people at a Jewish synagogue. All right. These are these are Jews here. They know this God that Peter is talking about. Peter's reminding them of the faithfulness of this God by saying the God of Abraham. Who was the God of Abraham? The God of Abraham was faithful to keep his promises to Abraham. This is a God that is faithful to keep his promises with us too. He tells them about the God of Isaac. We, we remember Isaac, right? Genesis 22. God tells Abraham, Abraham, sacrifice your only son. What? So Abraham takes his only son, Isaac, the one that was promised to him, the one to be the heir, the one to bring on the promised seed of Jesus. And God tells them to take him up the mountain and sacrifice him. And as they're walking up, the son is asking his father, father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Where's the offering? And he and Abraham keeps telling him, God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And then when he gets up to the top of of the mountain, he bound his son, throws him on the altar. And we don't read anything about Isaac putting up a fight here. Isaac possibly is in obedience to his father. And right before Abraham takes that knife and sacrifices his son, the angel stops him. The angel of the Lord, and that could possibly be Christ, stops him and says, you have obeyed. There's a sacrifice for you. 
The God of Isaac is the God who's faithful to redeem a broken people. The God who is faithful to provide a sacrifice. Then he reminds him of the God of Jacob. Jacob. Conniving, evil, twisted, blackmailing, backstabbing brother Jacob. Jacob's not a model. (laughs) He's not. Stole his brother's birthright. Stole his brother's blessing. Tricked his father to give him the blessing. But then when Jacob wrestled with God or with the angel, what happens? God basically pops that hip out. (laughs) Jacob comes out changed. Jacob's forgiven. This is the same God that's faithful to forgive us. And just as he was faithful to them, he's faithful to us. And that's what Peter's trying to get across to them. That this God, this faithful God is faithful to us. And how is he faithful to us? He's a sovereign God. He preached a message recently about how it was God's plan, his predestined plan to sacrifice the son of God. That it was it was all plan A, never was a backup plan. This same God is faithful to us, this same sovereign God who knows our sin, who knows our shame, who knows our past, who knows how wicked you really are. We come to church on Sunday mornings and man, we put on a mask. But God knows who we really are. God knows our sin. He knows the deepest, darkest things about you. Imagine what it would be like if your thoughts were able to be read by other people. That'd terrify you. God knows them. He knows your thoughts before you even think them. He knows the words that are come out of your mouth before it's even on your tongue. But this same sovereign God is a faithful God to forgive us. Even after he knows all these things about us, he still wants us to turn to Christ. Still wants us to turn to his son. He desires for no people. No people to die in their sin. He desires for all people to come to know Christ. Church, we have a need for Jesus. Why? Well, Peter shows that next. Look at what Peter says next. Look at verse, verse 13. Again, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over. And denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Jump down to verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. What's Peter showing us here? Not only is he showing us the faithfulness of God, he's showing us the sinfulness of man. The depravity of man. He, the, 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 these are the people who were shouting crucify him in the streets. This is not long after the crucifixion. These are the same people who were spitting at Jesus. 
These are the people who delivered Christ to the cross. These are the people who denied him when Herod tried to give him away. These, I mean, when Pilate did that. These are the people who exchanged him for a murderer. These are the people who killed Jesus. You delivered, you denied, you exchanged, you killed. But not only that, church, we did that. Just as they delivered Christ to be crucified, it was your sin that led him to the cross. Just as they denied Christ when Pilate brought brought him before them, it was your rejection of God that brought him to the cross. Just as they exchanged him for Barabbas, a murderer, It was your glory that you were seeking when you sent Him to the cross. We exchange our glory. And just as they were guilty of killing Christ, church, it's your responsibility, your guilt that sent Him to the cross. Feel the weight of your sin yet? Of your cosmic treason? You feel that burden yet? It's our fault that Christ went to the cross. He went for us. And He went because of us. Romans 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, For you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are a fallen people in need of salvation. And we deserve the very depths of hell, church. Understand that. You deserve damnation. I deserve it. And it's only by God's grace, only by God's grace that He makes it available to where we can come to know Him. People think it's not fair that people go to hell. No, it's not fair that God sent His own Son to die for your sins. That's not fair. The perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God came and died for the sinfulness of man. Which leads us to the next way of how Peter presents the gospel. He shows us the sufficiency of Christ. Verse 14 again, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses (coughs) and his name (coughs) by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. If you are like me, I haven't marked in this Bible yet. This is my new Bible. But if you're like me and you like to mark in your in your Bible, circle holy and righteous one, circle author of life. Peter calls Christ the holy and righteous one. He is the spotless, sinless son of God. Perfect, innocent. He came as God in the form of man, took on flesh, 
Fully God, fully man, lived the life that we couldn't live in obedience to the law, fulfilled the law, and then led himself to the cross to die for the sins that you should have died. Innocent, spotless, sinless, the holy and righteous one. That's what Peter is calling him here. You denied him. Secondly, he's the author of life. He's the creator God. John 1, 1, in, in, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We see that he has created all things by the power of his word. Church, he is the author of life and this author of life we put to death because of our sin and shame. And then also... Paul calls him our substitute. Verse 14 again, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. I love the story of Barabbas. You want to know why? Because there's not one. <laughs> Don't know who the man is. We have just a few verses that maybe explain who Barabbas was. He was a murderer. A thief. It's about it. But it was Barabbas that was supposed to be on that cross instead of Christ. That cross that was fashioned was not fashioned for Jesus. It was fashioned for Barabbas. And when Pilate brought out Barabbas and Christ and asked the crowd, who do you want? And they cried out, give us Barabbas. Christ took his place on the cross. So when we ask the question, who is Barabbas? Here's always my response. You're Barabbas. You're Barabbas. You're the one who deserved that cross. It was your sin and shame that, 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 that deserved that cross. You should have hung there. But instead, Christ took it in your place. He was our substitute. He took our place on the cross. We see also Peter shows us in verse 15, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. This, this Christ, this Savior, this Son of God who lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserved was raised to new life again. Raised to new life, resurrected, showed that the check cleared. That the payment was made. That he truly is God. Resurrected from the dead. Because death cannot hold him. What does that show us? It shows us that 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because he is who he says he is. The holy and righteous one, the author of life, the substitute, the son of God, raised to new life. Why? So that we can be raised to new life. Peter's trying to show them that. Verse 16, in his name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. This man had faith in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And it's what physically healed him. Now that's not what I'm trying to push up here this morning. Because here's the thing, church. 
we're not always going to be physically healed. That's the sad reality of living in a sin-infested world. Not everybody in this scene was healed physically. I'm sure there were people here who had ailments, who had problems, and they were not healed physically. Guys, even the apostles died. We have to understand that the message is not to have faith in Christ so that we can be physically healed. The message is that if we have faith in Christ, we can be spiritually healed, which is far greater, far greater. Because honestly, I would rather die with cancer than live for eternity in hell. Would you not? In Christ, there will be healing. Healing of our sin and shame and ultimately one day healing of these sick and frail bodies that we live in. Our bodies are slowly dying. They're falling apart. They're weak. Sadly, they don't get stronger after a certain time. Sadly, they get weaker. I was sitting with Miss Elizabeth Burris the other day. Poor thing, she's she's about to be, I think she said 95. And after her hip surgery, she's she's not been able to get up and walk as much as she used to. They've they've cut down on how much she can walk. And it's sad to see how our bodies give away. It is. Y'all have seen it. You've witnessed it. You may be experiencing it. But understand that there's nothing greater in this world than spiritual healing from our sin and shame. It's salvation in Christ that gives our sickness and our dying bodies purpose. It's when we give our lives to Jesus that ultimately our cancer has a purpose to glorify God. That our broken bodies have a purpose to glorify God. Peter shows the sufficiency of Jesus. But then, look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, I did also your rulers. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Church, Christ suffered so that we wouldn't have to. And understand the suffering is not just a physical suffering. Sometimes we just think, well, he bled and died on a cross. No, it's far more than that. The wrath of God was poured out on him. He suffered hell on that cross. He suffered separation from God because of his sin, because of the sin that he has taken from us on the cross. He suffered hell. That's what he suffered. Understand, it's not just physical what he endured. Verse 19, so what do we do? Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What do we do? We turn to Jesus. 
We turn to Jesus. And I know you've probably heard up here from the pulpit a lot lately, this word repentance. And I know it's not a word that gets thrown around quite often anymore in the church, but it needs to make a comeback. Because church, we are called to live a life of repentance. This message is not just for lost people. This message is for every single person that's sitting in the pew this morning. Saved and unsaved. We, as what Luther has told us, are called to live a life of repentance. Repentance is, it's a daily thing for us. We wake up in the morning thankful for God giving us a new day and new grace and mercy. And then when we go to bed at night, we repent of the sin that we committed that day. And when I say repent, this is this is where sometimes in the evangelical world, the word repent gets confused with ask for forgiveness. There's a difference. Repentance is turning from our sin. Repentance means we're going to stop doing it. And hear this church. Repentance is evidence of faith. How do we know if we are saved? Are we living a life of repentance? Repentance doesn't earn grace. Understand that. Repentance is because we've been saved by grace. Peter says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. First, we are to understand that we have sinned. That we are sinful people. That we have fallen. That we've done wrong. That we've hurt God. Deuteronomy tells us godly sorrow leads to repentance. So we first need to understand that we have sinned. Secondly, we need to understand that we should have a hatred for our sin. You can't turn away from something you love, guys. We should hate our sin. Thirdly, we should desire to change and sin no more. I'm not saying you are to be perfect. You can't be perfect. You will sin again. It's going to happen. If anybody tells you that they're sinless, they're a liar. They've just sinned. Fourthly, we are to believe Christ is faithful and just to forgive us. So we are to understand that we have sinned. We are to have a hatred for our sin. We are to desire to change and sin no more. And we are to believe that Christ is faithful and just to forgive us. First John 1 John 1.9 And fifthly, we turn to Him. That's the part of repentance people tend to miss. I'm going to turn from this sin, but where am I going to turn next? Another sin or to Christ? That's our ultimate joy. That's our ultimate pleasure. That's our ultimate satisfaction. Nothing in this world satisfies like Jesus does. So church, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you've brought with you this morning. But I know we carry our sin with us and I know it's heavy. It's like Pilgrim's Journey. He's carrying that huge backpack of of weight And then when he finally hits the cross, I'm talking about Pilgrim's Progress, the book, when he finally sees the cross, he sees the glory of Jesus, that weight falls from him. And it's a relief. Church, you need to see the cross this morning. Do you see the sufficiency of Jesus? You can be healed just as this lame man was healed. You can be healed spiritually. 
So for those in this room who have never, who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, can I plead with you this morning to do that? Do that. Why? Because as, as what we're going to see next week in Acts 3, Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Who's the prophet? Jesus. What's the destruction? Hell. Church, for those who don't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ... They are going to hell. And that's not me being judgmental or hateful or spiteful up here. And I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. I'm trying to show you the truth. This is an act of love where I I don't want you to go there. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Do you see who He truly is? Repent of your sin. It's evidence of faith in Christ. This is a message for the unbeliever and the believer. Maybe you believers in this room who have struggled with sin for so long, maybe it's time you actually give it to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful, Lord, that you have given grace and mercy through the cross of Christ. We are thankful that you have given your Son so that we may live eternally with Him. But God, we are to respond. God, there's a demand for a response. Help us. Help us to repent. Help us to turn to You. Thank You for who You are. Work in this room this morning. Your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.